On Thanksgiving afternoon, Hannah and I were on a train in Germany on the first leg of our trip back to Phoenix. We were going from Cologne to Frankfurt, and we had a compartment on the train all to ourselves. We were enjoying that, uh, noticing the scenery, just relaxing a bit. And the last stop between Cologne and Frankfurt is a place called Limburg. And in Limburg, a Catholic priest got on the train and joined us in our compartment. He had a newspaper with him. He obviously wasn't intending to talk to anybody. But he got into the compartment, and somehow we came into conversation with him, and somehow this thing got opened up that Hannah is a German Jew, grew up during the Nazi time, escaped just before the outbreak of World War II, parents gassed in 1942, May the 3rd, in Kelmno, Poland. He's hearing all this. And then he began to tell us his story. He is not a parish priest. He works for the church in a ministry of reconciliation. And he moves in places where there's need. He's been recently to the States to help with the uh, sexual abuse issue. He was in Limburg because anybody who's been in Germany in the last month knows that the Bishop of Limburg has been given administrative leave by the Pope because of his misbehavior. And so he lives in Munich, but he's just been in Limburg. So we're having all this conversation with this, with this priest, and he hears that Hannah has written a book on her life, And he's wondering, can I get a copy of that book? Before we left the Eiffel, we gave away all the books we had. The local bookshop in Gamun wants to sell them, although it's in English. German friends wanted to buy copies for Christmas presents. We gave all of our books out. Didn't have any books. Except the night that we were getting ready to leave, Hannah comes to me. We're doing our last packing. And she says, you know, here's a copy of the book that I forgot I had. And so we said to each other, well, maybe God has somebody on the trip. He wants to have that book. And so as we're coming into Frankfurt, I'm getting the bags to the door ready to get off the train. And Hannah and this priest are exchanging email addresses. He's got the book. Why am I telling you that story? That is a story about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is continually breaking through into the kingdom of men. Now, we've come to the point in the unfolding of the liturgical year, the unfolding of Advent, where we're talking about John the Baptist. We're seeing John the Baptist in the context of preparing for the coming of the Lord. And John appears to us in Matthew chapter 3. And the first thing that is recorded is he gives us the main theme of his message. The main theme of John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That's a theme of John's message. Interestingly enough, that's also the theme of Jesus' message. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus hears that John has been put into prison and he appears publicly in his role of public ministry. And the very first thing he does is announce the general theme of his message, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Now, we'll never understand Jesus unless we understand the kingdom of heaven, because that's what he was talking about. That's what the parables are about. That's what his teaching is about. You know, we read things that Jesus taught, and we say, I can't really understand that well. The way to understand it is to understand the kingdom of heaven, because that's what Jesus was talking about. 
You know, there's something about Jesus that is so sad, so terribly sad, and that is this. He came to bring new information. He came to bring information that nobody else had brought before, and he wasn't recognized as that, and he isn't recognized as that today. I mean, when people are trying to get answers to the problems that they have in life, how many times do they go to Jesus, even people who identify as Christians? Jesus came to give new information, and the basic theme about which he was speaking is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God, if you want a good discussion on that. I don't know of a better one than Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. He goes into all this. So we're going to talk this morning about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is it? Well, I've got 10 characteristics here and my first point. 10 characteristics of the kingdom of God. One, the kingdom of God is the sphere where God rules. That's, what, that's all it is. Any kingdom is the sphere where the monarch rules. The kingdom of God is the sphere where God rules. Well, you say, well, God rules everywhere, doesn't he? Almost. There are two areas where God has temporarily, for reasons known only to him, given freedom for things to be done not as he wills, and that is in the heart of man and in the satanic. God has given human beings the freedom to make choices that are against his will. And he gives us the freedom to do that. Now, it's important to know that although we have the freedom to do that, we do not have the freedom to escape the consequences of doing that. So the consequences of rebelling against the will of God are disastrous. So there are these two areas. For a time, not forever, but for a time, in the kingdom of men and the kingdom of darkness, God allows things to happen that are other than his will. Secondly, the kingdom of God is spiritual. That means it's non-physical. You can't contact it with your physical senses. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You can't touch it. It's non-physical. But, third point, it's real. In fact, it is by far the greatest part of reality. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we could only understand. You and I are spiritual beings. We have a body. We are inhabited in our body, but we are not restricted to our body. The time is going to come when we die. Death is about the body. It's not about us ceasing to exist. You know, I just mentioned Dallas Willard. He's dead now, died recently of cancer. And he made this incredible statement. I, you know, I just found it. I don't know where I read it, but he made this absolutely incredible statement. Listen to this. When I die, I think it will be some time before I become aware that I'm dead. When I die, I think it will be some time before I become aware that I'm dead. What's the point? He's a spiritual being. We inhabit a body, but we're not our body. Take off part of my body, you don't take off part of me. If you don't understand that, or understanding that helps us to understand sin. Sin is about the destruction of the soul. So when we sin, our soul is damaged, warped, twisted. The kingdom of God is real. Father Chris, as we get into the 
Eucharistic prayer, there's going to come the point where he say, therefore we praise you. Joining our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Who is all this company of heaven? The patriarchs are there. The prophets are there. The apostles are there. The evangelists are there. The martyrs are there. The people in the church throughout the world are there. It's all part of this awesome, profound reality. The greater part of reality by far that is the kingdom of God. Fourth point, the kingdom of God is found in space all around us. Now, just think about that. You know, we we got to be careful with this because we affirm in the Nicene Creed, Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And we think, you know, where is that? Well, that's got to be beyond the universe, beyond all the galaxies, somewhere way out there beyond anything you could ever imagine. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father, which is true. But it's also true that the kingdom of God is right here. In fact, this is what John and Jesus were proclaiming. The kingdom of God wasn't new. It didn't come into being with John or Jesus. The Psalms say God's kingdom is from old, from everlasting. God has always ruled. But what were John and Jesus proclaiming? What were they announcing? They were announcing that the kingdom of God now is coming in new accessibility. It's present. It's here. Luke 17, Jesus said, don't say here, there, when is the kingdom of God coming? The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right here. The kingdom of God is right here. The kingdom of God is in the space between you and the person sitting in front of you in the pew. The kingdom of God is there. The kingdom of God is in this aisle. The kingdom of God is in the parking lot when you walk over to the parish hall. The kingdom of God is driving your way home. The kingdom of God is here. It's in the midst of us. It's all around us. It's in the space surrounding our bodies. Five. The kingdom of God is the environment for which we were created. We are created to live in the kingdom of God. That's what we're created for. God created us in his own image. He created us to be with him. He created us for intimacy with him. He created us to know him, to be able to love him, to be able to worship him. He wants to be with us. Jesus is waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He sees us doing the stuff that we do. And he's waiting for us. Come to me. Enter through me into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom among you, the kingdom that is the greatest part of the reality, the kingdom for which you were created, the kingdom of which eternity is composed. The environment for which we were created. Six, the kingdom of God operates completely differently than the kingdom of man. And that's that's a that's a that's a catch. Because we grow up and we learn how to function in the kingdom of man. We learn, we learn how to do it. Then we come to know Christ and the stuff we thought worked doesn't work anymore. Because the kingdom of God is different. It functions totally differently. So we have to unlearn all the things that we think we've learned. And we have to relearn 
Now, there's a million ways that Jesus talked about this. He said, you know, unless you come as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? Well, this is what he meant. A little child is teachable. A little child knows he has to learn. One of the greatest characteristics of a godly person is teachability. The wisdom that comes from above is, first of all, teachable, gentle, humble, easy to be entreated. It operates completely different from the kingdoms of the world. Seven, the kingdom of God is the source of spiritual authority. Oh, brothers and sisters, is that idea familiar to a spiritual authority? Do we recognize spiritual authority when we see it? How do you get spiritual authority? How do we train leaders in the church? How were leaders trained in the book of Acts? How did Jesus train leaders? Jesus was training the apostles and his first disciples to carry spiritual authority. How did he train them? The same way that Jesus trained the apostles is the way we today are to train future leaders of the church. And the church has no greater need, in my opinion, than men and women who carry spiritual authority. It's different than human authority. It doesn't come the way human authority does. It's spiritual authority. It's the hand of God upon the life of the person. Eight, the kingdom of God is immediately accessible. It's right here. You don't have to go any place. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to achieve anything. You don't have to have a checklist of 25 things you have to do. It is immediately accessible, number nine, by anyone, no exceptions. The kingdom of God is available to anybody. You know, we get a little bit into next week's gospel when we think about John being put in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, Jesus, are you the one that should come? Or shall we look for another? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in prison. My life is in danger. And, you know, you're not totally acting like we thought you would act if you're the Messiah. Are you the one? Are you the one or do we look for somebody else? And Jesus said to the disciples of John, go and tell John what you see. The blind see. The lame walk. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised. What is that? It's the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of man. Anybody can come. Prostitutes can come. Jesus got criticized because he hung out with prostitutes. Prostitutes could come. That doesn't mean Jesus approves of prostitution, but Jesus knows that prostitution breaks the human spirit. Prostitutes can come. Drug addicts can come. Rich people can come. Highly educated people can come. Undocumented people can come. Everybody can come. Whatever our brokenness, whatever I need, sick people can come. People with cancer can come. Well people can come. The kingdom of God is immediately accessible to everybody. Here's the 10th point. By relying on Jesus. By relying on Jesus. That's how we get into the kingdom of God. By relying on him. 
The kingdom of God is continually breaking in to the physical world, the kingdom of men. You know, John the Baptist himself is such an incredible example. We have this awesome account of John the Baptist in Luke. Starts with the account of his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was in the temple offering incense. People were outside praying. All of a sudden, as Zechariah is in the temple, there's an angel of the Lord standing by the altar of incense, and Zechariah is petrified. You know, if, if you hear some people talking strange, you know, ghibli about seeing an angel, get them to read the Bible. You know, in, in the Bible, when people saw angels, this invoked fear. All of a sudden, there's this angel standing by the altar of incense. Where did that angel come from? Came from the unseen kingdom. And the angel said, Zechariah, Elizabeth, your wife, although you're both old, is going to bear a son. And your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he's going to go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. What is that about? It's about the kingdom of God, breaking into the kingdom of man. And, you know, one of my favorite verses about John the Baptist is Luke 180. Luke 1 is a long chapter. Very end of the chapter, John was in the wilderness until the time of his appearing to Israel. How did God prepare John the Baptist? In the wilderness means in the desert. Ever been to the deserts around Israel? makes the Sonoran Desert look like an oasis. John was in the wilderness until his appearing to Israel. Matthew 3, John appears, and what happens? People start going out from Jerusalem, from Judea, from beyond the Jordan. They go out where? Into the wilderness, not into some oasis, not into some five-star hotel, but into the wilderness. What are they doing in the wilderness? Repenting of their sins. What is this about? It's about the kingdom of God. We don't read anything when we read the life of John the Baptist about organizations or television programs or radio programs or marketing or websites. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but when our confidence is in those things, we are missing spiritual authority. John carried spiritual authority. And because he carried spiritual authority, people were going out into the desert repenting, confessing of their sins. And John said to them, there's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, day of Pentecost, all these Jews were together in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all Jews. And that is the essence of spiritual authority and it comes from the unseen kingdom. Okay, we're closing. How do we become able to live increasingly in the kingdom of God? I want to live in the kingdom of God. That's what I'm created to do. And the kingdom of men all around me is 
tearing my soul to pieces. I want to live in the kingdom of God. How do I do that? Here's how we do it. Relying on Jesus becomes increasingly our inner default setting. I'll say that again. Relying on Jesus becomes increasingly our inner default setting. The Christian life is not, in essence, about behavior. It's about becoming. It's not about learning good things to do. It's about the transformation of the inner life. Godly behavior comes from a godly interior. And the essence of learning and forming that godly interior is learning to rely upon Jesus. So relying upon Jesus becomes the default setting. I got a letter a week ago from a dear friend, European friend. Her husband just lost his job. And now she's really frightened. She's insecure. And she writes to Hannah and me and saying, how do you make a budget when you don't know what the income's going to be? She thinks we know about that. Well, the answer is no farther away than the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So we learn to rely upon Jesus. If we lose our job, default setting, rely upon Jesus. If we get sick, default setting, rely upon Jesus. We start the day, default setting, rely upon Jesus. We get in the midst of an argument during the day, default setting, rely upon Jesus. People don't like us, default setting, rely upon Jesus. We at no interferes, default setting, rely upon Jesus. It's a process of transformation that takes place in the presence of God. And the more that default setting is formed within us, the more living in the kingdom of God becomes natural, normal, an expression of who we are. How are we going to choose to spend that time How are we going to focus our priorities? It's a time to seek the Lord. It's a time to repent, turn away from all the characteristics of the kingdoms of this world and pursue the kingdom of God for which we are created. Amen.